like that that was really weird of me um but I'm really excited to share this episode that I have recorded with Natalie it was such an awesome time talking to her she is so cool and her jewelry that she's created is is just amazing and I think um and we talked about this in the episode but just seeing how someone I'm, I'm so impressed and um a little jealous of someone who was able to really tap into their creativity way before everyone was like making banana bread and pandemic and you know finding out their passions during covid which i'm guilty of um for sure but just above all else i think natalie has a really big heart and that comes through with flying colors in um in our conversation and i encourage you all to check out her website because it's um it's not only just really aesthetically pleasing but also Um, has all of her amazing creations on it. Um, Before I jump in, first I wanted to share um, what some of a really wonderful experience I had this weekend. So um, I I have a friend, uh, Brian, who has a podcast called the Grandmother Podcast, um, which you might hear in some of these uh, episodes. You might hear a little plug for for the grandmother podcast and I was lucky enough to be a guest um, and I and part of being a guest is basically me interviewing my grandma Carol and so I was able to uh, speak with her for an hour um, you know at my house with our microphones and talk to her about love life travels desires and just some really um, amazing topics and I have to say I mean I love my grandma more than probably almost anyone else in the world she's my my love and my light and just everything to me and being able to have such a great conversation with her and above all else just have it recorded and filmed like how lucky am I to have an hour-long recording saved for forever and be able to listen to that whenever I'm down and whenever I miss her because she's in New Jersey and I'm in Texas and I just um, you know, Brian, if you're listening to this episode of any chance, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone go check out the grandmother podcast. Listen to the episode with me. If you, if you so desire or any of the other episodes, um, Maddie Price was on and a number of other incredible guests, Lindsay Metzlar. Um, so I really just would encourage you to check it out, but I just wanted to quickly say how amazing that was and how it really lit up my entire weekend. Um, and one quick other thing before I dive into this episode, um, it's a quick plug for better help. Um, as you all know, I am very involved in the mental health industry, I guess you could say, and I have been speaking with my better help therapist uh, for almost two years now. We s- first connected in September of 2020, so it's yeah, it's going on two years, and I've stuck with her. She's absolutely amazing, and I'm just so grateful that I have an affordable, you know, therapy option. Um, that seems very it's everything's remote now so I get to you know, speak with her regularly over zoom and communicate with her um, back and forth over text or voice memos whenever I get the chance to so 
highly encourage everyone to check it out. And if you use my code Zoe um, or just go to trybetterhelp.com slash Zoe, you get 10% off your first month, which is great because it's already a real much discounted service. So again, that's trybetterhelp.com slash Zoe, Z-O-E for 10% off your first month of therapy. There's no time like the present. So go check it out and enjoy this episode in the meantime. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace and the City. Today, I am so excited to finally be here after many reschedulings, which I'm so (laughs) sorry about, Natalie, um, with eclectic jewelry designer and creative Natalie, Natalie McMillan. Hi. Oh, don't even worry about the rescheduling. I feel like, listen, we're in a world now where it's, we're always rescheduling everything. It's totally fine. Exactly. And it was also my fault for being like, oh, yeah, I can totally schedule this the same day I move apartments. Like, really oh, didn't, have my, didn't have my planner as organized as I should have. So um, oh, and definitely something I need to uh, keep note for going forward. But <laughs> anyways, I'm so excited to finally have you on the podcast. Um, I'd love if you could tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? How old are you? Where did you grow up? What's your story? Yeah, well, I'm Natalie McMillan. Um, as you said, I'm 28 and I live in Los Angeles, but I was um, born and raised in the Bay Area. Okay. So just um, north, Northern California. Um, and yeah, you know, I've always been a very creative person my whole life. Um, I There's pictures of me painting when I was like, two um and like not to chew my own horn but I, I was pretty good as a kid <laughs> like I look back at pictures and I'm like mom this was like good and she's like I know um but I think it just has always been a big part of my life and I people ask me sometimes like oh did you ever you know think you were gonna do anything else other than being something creative and it's like I kind of never never did. I never really thought of anything else because I don't know what else I would do. Um, And so, yeah, I've kind of just landed in this career that I've sort of made um, with jewelry and art and just really any any creative thing I can get my hands on um, and make. That's awesome. And so did you grow up in a household that was very creative? Like, you know, did, did it come from your parents? Were they um, in that same space? No. Oh, <laughs> no. Interesting. Um, no. So um, my, I guess they are both sort of creative people, not by profession, um, but they both have their creative flares to them. Uh, but my brother and I were both very, very creative. And I think we were just really lucky because um, our parents were very supportive of it. Um, my mom actually encouraged me to get an art degree, which I think most parents would be yeah. like, please don't do that, you know? Um, but she was she was really encouraging in that sense. And they really let us kind of explore different mediums and my brother's in film. And um, 
And so, yeah, we, we were given the space to do so, which was really, really a blessing. Yeah, especially, I mean, I can imagine growing up in the Bay Area, which is, you know, very tech focused, very intense, yeah. like high schools that only let in like 1% of people or something like that. So being able to like live your truth at a young age probably, you know, g- gave you like a head start's a weird word, but it didn't have to be always like a side project. Like when I started my podcast, it was always, I, I could never say it out loud as my job. And my therapist had to say, like, you start saying this is my job because you're putting yourself down essentially. So is that yeah. kind of how you felt? Like, did you feel like because you were able to at a young age, it kind of gave you confidence? In a way, Yes, but also no, because I always felt like I was sort of, not that I was not intelligent or, or that I was, uh, you know, like dumb or anything, but I felt like I had all of my, a lot of my friends, I mean, they're neuroscientists, they're, you know, they're double majored in all these different things. And I was like, uh, I can paint like, you yeah. know, I was like, I just felt that my, uh, my area of intelligence, I guess, was really not in any of the more accepted quote unquote, uh, areas. And so I kind of felt less confident maybe I think I really wanted to be like everyone else uh, mm-hmm. and just like easily pick up calculus <laughs> you know when I really couldn't you know I really struggled with stuff like that and it wasn't until I got to college and um, kind of could pick my own classes and um, was able to sort of dive in more to what I was good at um, to kind of gain my confidence and be like, hold on. So I'm not an idiot is what you're telling me, Yeah, (laughs) you know? Um, because yeah, I mean, yeah, Bay area, it is, it is really, there's a lot of tech there. Everybody's just like brilliant. We've got Berkeley, we've got Stanford, you know, Mm -hmm. um, my dad worked in tech banking, um, I don't even know what that is. It just sounds like <laughs> intense yeah. job and intense job. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I kind of felt like a little bit of a fish out of water, I think. Yeah, no, it's so interesting. You, you say that because I, I think about this so much I, growing up on the, you know, the other coast, but near New York, it's like my whole life. I thought there were three professions. It was like banking management consulting and like becoming a doctor like I didn't think I didn't even think tech was an option because no one I knew was like working in tech sales whereas you know when I moved to Austin everyone's working in tech sales but and so I had this like preconceived notion because I was good at math like okay this means I have to become an investment banker like my parents were and then little did I know a what the hell that even was and B, <laughs> like, I still don't really know what they do. And B, like, that I, it's the most boring job. I mean, for some people, like, actually enjoy it. But most people, I'd say, hate their lives. And then 
fast forward and I'm in like a profession, a, a creative profession and going to become a social worker. So it's like, right. it's funny where you like end up like when you're you like, especially, I mean, you know, you living, being surrounded by people in the Bay area and, and me being surrounded by like people whose parents all commute to New York. It's like, you have this preconceived idea of what success means. And then you right. realize, wow, I could be having a whole ton more fun doing something yeah. that I actually love and still be 100%. successful. Yes. Yeah. But it's hard to kind of, um, switch your mindset mm-hmm. to, okay, no, this is a form. This is success. And I struggle with that still. Yeah. I still like, you know, I didn't follow a very traditional, um, path and so I do struggle a lot with like, oh my God, I'm, I'm a, a loser. Like, you know, you can tell yourself all kinds of, um, all kinds of things. And it is interesting how much it does kind of come back to kind of where you grew up. And I mean, people in LA, it's like, oh yeah, my mom's an artist and my dad's an actor yeah, exactly. and here's on Broadway. Like, you know, it's very normal. Um, so I do think there is definitely an element of kind of what you were brought up around. Um, I mean, yeah, my, my grandpa, um, he was an engineer. He, he founded Cal Poly engineering and, um, I'm, I remember my cousins were like, you should be an engineer, like da da da. And I still don't know what engineers do. Okay. They go into consulting. (laughs) As oh, someone who was like with a lot of engineers in college, they ninety percent of them went into consulting. Right. I'm like, okay, I guess I could be an industrial engineer um, if you wanted whatever I'm making to collapse. Like, I have no idea, you know. But like, those were the types of things that were sort of um, in my ethers. Yeah. You know. So. You're the, the founder and sole creative behind your lifestyle brand with the goal of, quote, making every day a party, which I just love. When <laughs> did you come, like, I, if you could, I'd love it if you could go back in time and tell me a little bit, like, about the genesis specifically of your jewelry designing career. Because it seems like, you know, you've always been interested in, like, art and, um, you know, the creative uh, endeavors. But what specifically about jewelry designing caught your eye? Well, I was in college. So like I said, I was getting an art degree and I was getting towards the end of it. And I still really didn't know what I was going to do. I I was just hoping I'd figure it out. Um, and I had a, uh, an advisor or a counselor or whatever they were say, oh, you're, you're missing electives. Like you have to take there's this big gap here. You have to take electives or you're not going to be able to graduate. And they said, um, and because I was kind of getting down to the wire, they were like, you have two options. You can do, I'm not even kidding. It was glass blowing or jewelry. And um, I was like, well, I've always loved jewelry. Like for as long as I can remember, I've been a jewelry girl. I remember specifically in preschool, making necklaces mm-hmm. for my mom um like beaded ones with her name and stuff and I thought okay well I'll just I'll do that like that sounds fun you know and I 
went into that first class and I sort of started thinking like, oh, wait, maybe I could do this. Like maybe, maybe this could be something that I could actually explore like career wise. And so I kind of just got that idea in my head. And then um, as the year went on, I sort of, I sort of started formulating like, okay, I would do this. And I started kind of making designs. Um, and by the time I graduated, I pretty much had told myself like, all right, I'm going to just design jewelry. I'm going to start a little line and sort of see what happens. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I got into it. That's amazing. And so did you strictly like after you graduated, did you strictly focus on your lifestyle brand or did you kind of dabble in, you know, the, I guess like corporate fashion world or something like that beforehand? So I graduated and I moved back home, back to the Bay Area because I was going to school um, in Orange County here in, here in California. So I went back to the Bay, moved back home and I started my line in my mom's garage. Um, but I was also working two other jobs. So I had a retail job. Um, I was also doing like spray tanning at a salon, <laughs> which sounds so funny, but like literally I would spray tan people all day. Um, and so I had those jobs and, um, and I never, I never did a corporate, um, fashion job. I never, uh, did any like internships with any major fashion houses. I just sort of was like, uh, kind of just learning as I went, which I still do, yeah. which I still, like literally, I have no idea what I'm doing ever. Okay. I just, I'm learning Same. as I go. So, yeah. That's so interesting. Cause I feel like if my sister listens to this, like, sorry for, you know, putting her on the spot, but my sister was always very interested in like fashion and, um, and I guess, I mean, granted she just more was like into she never really like pinpointed what exactly, but when she was younger, you know, she wanted to be a cosmetologist and all these different things. But then, you know, the older she got and then when she got to college, I think there was, again, that preconceived notion of, okay, you have to go into corporate retail first and then, you know, and then go to a, then you can go to like a smaller boutique company or something. And, and even that it's like, you need the name brand and all of these things before she can like quote unquote chase her dream whatever that may be and so it's yeah. cool to hear that you did the opposite and were like I want to do this right away like I love this I don't want to put it off and I think maybe because of the pandemic maybe because of the generate like Gen Z which I I think is like um, a very independent generation you yeah. see a lot more freelancing now, you know, with work from home and things like that. But when when I graduated, however many years ago, and I imagine you too, like not many people I know were like, yeah, I'm just going to go pursue my dream and and not, you know, go down the conventional route. So it's pretty cool that you did that, I guess, before it was, quote, cool <laughs> or like normal. <laughs> 
Well, I don't, you know, it's funny that I'm just reflecting as you're talking and I'm like, I actually never even considered like getting a job at a fashion company. Um, Doing the grind. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't. I mean, I think because I don't know. It felt like building my own thing was such a grind. I mean, it still is. Yeah. Although I'm really trying to like separate this hustle culture. I'm really, really working on that. Um, but I think, I don't know. It felt different to me. It felt like I'm making my own things and I'm designing my own things. And so I'm just going to do my own thing. Um, and it was never, I guess my goal was never to be like this huge fashion brand um, in New York or or anything like that. So I guess I just like never even considered it. That's pretty cool. And it shows like your ambition and probably is a large reason like as to why you're successful, which I, I definitely want to get into and um, – so I, I mentioned this, you know, when we first jumped on the call, but I saw your website, shopnataliemcmillan.com, and it I just have to say how much I love it, like the colors, the loud fonts, everything just screams fun. And yeah. I was wondering if you could tell me, you know, a little bit about the mission behind your brand and how you want people to feel when they wear your pieces of jewelry or, you know, buy your perfumes or whatever. Like what is what 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 kind of like statement are you making and um what do you want to make in the future if that makes sense yeah um I love that question I don't know if I've ever been asked that question um I I feel like when I first started and things have evolved a little bit so uh this I'm coming up on six years right six years I think this is my sixth year. Um, next month it will be. And when I first started, I very much wanted things that you could wear with anything. So I wanted to make pieces that you could wear all the time, that you could wear at the gym or on a red carpet. Like it wouldn't matter, Every it would transcend everything. Um, and I still, and so actually my signature collection, that is still very much the goal of it. Um, and I have people all the time that are like, oh, I bought this and I never take it off. It goes with everything, da, da, da. So that's been really, really great. Um, but I also felt, and I don't know if you felt this way, but when I first launched there, it, it was sort of this emergence, particularly on Instagram, of these kind of new brands and little boutiques and stuff. And a lot of them I really, really liked, but I felt like it felt so exclusive. Um, you know, there were these like cool girl, quote unquote, cool, cool girl brands. And I was like, I am not cool enough to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. I didn't feel like I could be part of this. Like, ugh. and so I sort of was like, you know, I would like to make a brand that is not only inclusive in terms of, um, you know, my 
like my sizing and my the models I use for my lookbooks and all that. But just that when people go to my website or go to my Instagram or TikTok or whatever, like they just feel welcome. Mm-hmm. And so um, I actually had somebody a few years ago who was like, oh, you're like the cool girl brand. And I, it kind of like struck me a little bit because that was never my goal. And I thought, okay, well, I, if I'm, if I am this quote unquote, cool girl brand, I want to make sure that it's, uh, it's cool in the sense that I think is cool, which is like, I don't think you can be like exclusive and clicky and be cool. Like, I think that's so lame. So it's like, I think it's cool to have like any, you know, if you're, if you're at your metaphorical lunch table, right. The cool girl lunch table, like I want everybody to sit there, you know? And I, and so that's sort of how I have looked at it since then. Um, And moving forward, I think I also just want, I want it to be a brand that, everyone can find something in. And even if they don't find something, like even if there isn't jewelry or perfume or clothes, or if there's nothing that they find that they even want to buy, like I just want there to be a space on the internet where uh, they can feel accepted and like, you know, just like hang out. No, I love that. And I I totally get what you mean. It's like even all, all like, get an Instagram ad of a piece of jewelry or something from like one of these companies that has, you know, um, podcast ads or something like that. And, and I feel like I'm like, if I wear this, like I'll feel like such an imposter. Like, I don't know. It's like a weird feeling. Maybe it's cause like, I don't consider myself someone who have like crazy good style, but even still, I'm like, well, if I wear this, I know in a year it's not going to be cool anymore. And for like the three months that I put it on, I'll feel like, oh, it's the necklace that everyone has. And like, I'll feel like a loser for wearing it. Yeah. Um, Not a loser, but like, you know, that's the thing I would get. And so like authentic to you. Exactly. It's like, okay, am I getting this because everyone else is wearing it or do I actually like it? And then kind of what you're saying with, you know, flipping the switch, it's kind of like what you spoke about earlier, where when you were younger, you wanted to be just like everyone else, which I think so many people can relate to. I can totally relate to that. And then now I would, the last thing I'd want to be told is like, oh, you're just, you know, you're like everyone else or something. Like it's, it's a compliment to be like, you're so unique or you're so cool, like cool. And I think that's probably what that person meant when they said, oh, you're like the cool girl brand. Cause it's, unconventional it's fun it's it and as you said like everyone can find a piece that resonates with them whether it's you know the signature brand which is can be go with any outfit or if it's like I saw the the um, earrings that are dice like just something (laughs) fun and you know could be for an event that's you know just like that makes you feel unique which I think is something that people now are actually craving so I love that and everyone should definitely check out your website because it's just it is like a funny it's like an experience 
Yeah. Well, and I also just, I'm, I've always been somebody who, you know, I take, I take my, my work and I take my life and my relationships and everything very seriously, but I'm also a very, you know, life isn't that serious. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not having fun, I'm just like very much not having it. I am like not it having a, I'm not feeling like myself if I'm not having fun. And so it's like, you know, I just, I wanted my website to be a place that's just like almost annoyingly fun, you know, like it's just very, it's a, it's very in your face, but it's just, I hope it comes across as, as, um, being fun and laid back, but still, um, there's still very high quality things on there Yeah, um, that I work really hard on and I put so much of myself into. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the line I toe because I, I never want people to think that I am like careless, you know, cause I'm not, I'm very, I'm very, very uh, meticulous and I put everything into my work. Um, but I also don't want it to be, I don't want it to feel so serious and so you know with these jewelry with these other jewelry brands that um i've noticed it's like i don't want to go into the store because i don't feel like i should be i'm like this is for some girl that is not me you know what i mean yeah i'm walking around in texas it's like 106 degrees i'm like if i go in here people i'm like sweating bullets like i can't touch anything I know. And I feel like that's still, and I have been, I literally have made jewelry for six years and I walk into stores like that. And I'm like, I shouldn't be here. Like they're judging me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I can totally relate. So with this being a mental health podcast, um, I'd love to learn a little bit about your own experience with emotional struggles, whatever, you know, those may be, um, from my understanding in, in, you know, scheduling this, you battle type one diabetes. And, um, ironically, like when I was kind of working on scheduling this interview with, uh, your manager, I was in the car with, um, a girl who I just met and she was telling me about how she struggled with type one diabetes and how she'd love to hear someone on my podcast speak about it. Yeah. And it's, it's something that I, I think a lot of people don't really know about, which is exactly the reason that I think it should be talked about because, you know, I think empathy starts with conversation. And so I was wondering, you know, how has this chronic illness impacted your life at an early age and throughout your adulthood? Yeah. Well, thank you for giving me this. I'm like going to cry. <laughs> Nobody's ever like asked me much about it. Um, oh my God. It's so funny. I just got an email from my insulin pump company. Um, more things. Um, so yeah, thank you for giving me the space to, to talk about it because I think it is something that's really misunderstood. Um, you know, diabetes gets thrown around a lot. Um, and, what people don't really understand is type one and type two are like so vastly different. Yeah. And type two is the one that's typically 
you know, talked about when people say, um, you know, however much percentage of the country has diabetes and, and all of this, um, it's type two diabetes. Um, I think I could be wrong, but I think the percentage of, so if you took all the diabetics in America or globally, uh, about 5% are type one. Oh, wow. So 95%. So the commercials you see when people are talking about it, that's all aimed towards type two. And type two is the kind that you can um, reverse. Uh, you can prevent it with you know diet and exercise. Um, and type one is actually an autoimmune disease. So it has nothing to do with diet or exercise. Um, it has nothing to do, you can't reverse it. Uh, you can't prevent it. It's something that you're essentially in a simple, in simple terms, you're born with it. Mm -hmm. Um, even if it doesn't express until you're older. Um, and so I think even just having that awareness, because the amount of times that I have had people say to me, like, I remember when I first got out of the hospital, I had somebody say, um, what, do you eat a lot of Twinkies or something? And I was just like, I was just staring at this person because it was like, I just got out of however many days of being in the hospital, like almost dying, like, and then to be kind of blamed yeah. for it. And I think that's a really hard thing that type type ones have to go through. Um, and I don't really take offense to it anymore because I do find it, um, and not in a, not in a clap back kind of way, but in just like, a, oh, I can take this opportunity to actually like educate somebody on mm -hmm. um, the difference. Um, but it, it, people don't really understand, I don't think either how much work it takes. It requires so much attention all the time. Um, it's kind of, one of the few diseases where you are given complete control over the medication that you have to dose correctly to live. But if you dose incorrectly, you can also die very easily. Yeah. So it's a lot of responsibility. Um, and it does take up a lot of my, my mind you know, a lot of the time, it's not something that I can ever just shelf. Um, and I think all type one diabetics have to go through that. Um, and, you know, I don't feel bitter about it. I don't feel like, uh, you know, like, oh, my life is ruined. I kind of just feel like this, you know, these were the cards I was dealt and, um, and what can I do with it to maybe, uh, you know, educate or help other people with type one, um, especially kids. It's really confusing when you first get diagnosed. Um, I was so scared to go to sleep when I was, when I first got diagnosed, um, because I didn't know, was I actually, was I accidentally going to die in the night? Um, there's a lot of things that you go through mentally, um, 
that I think actually have a, a bigger impact than than the physical aspect of it. Yeah. No, I mean, you, I think hit on so many incredible points. Like, on one hand, was that the most sensitive comment to make to someone who just got out of the hospital? Obviously not. But I think because the media and the TV shows we watch and the commercials we see do, as you said, geared towards type 2 diabetics, the narrative that we hear is, okay, diabetes is something that you get when you don't take care of yourself. And, right. it, you know, and it's, you know, you're not eating right, you're not exercising, so you have this mental, I like have a mental picture, you know, of like an older white man like <laughs> who's overweight. Like that's literally how it's portrayed or unless yeah. like the the first time I think I remember hearing of type one diabetes is like when Joe Jonas or Nick Jonas was diagnosed and all of a sudden, yeah. you know, that was, the, and then that slipped away and we never heard about it again after that beautiful song that they came out with. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's so interesting because it's, it, there is just, isn't a lot of awareness around it. And I actually had, um, Gigi Robinson, who's a, a model on this podcast recently, and she deals with a chronic illness. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it, but what something she spoke about was, you know, first it was like, we, we've, we're still working on getting mental health destigmatized. Like that's going to take forever. Um, yeah. But at least there's been progress with the pandemic and, you know, just more conversations around mental health, more podcasts about mental health. But chronic illness and, and autoimmune disease is like there is not a lot of awareness around them. It's not talked about in the media. It's not, you know, there's not like a podcast where, I mean, there probably are, but as many that interview people, you know what, I, you, you know what I'm saying? So it's, yeah. and it's a constant, as you said, it's like something you, some, you have to deal with constantly. It's a part of your life. And so, I'm, I mean, it's incredibly brave of you to deal with that on a day-to-day -day basis. And then thank you for sharing. Oh my gosh. Well, no, seriously, thank you for giving me the space to do it because, you know, I never want to go on podcast and be like, let me tell you about my life-threatening disease and how it yeah. affects me, you know, because, and again, because people don't really understand it to begin with. Um, and so it's funny that, you know, you're talking about the Nick Jonas thing and your picture of diabetes. Cause sometimes I'll say like, oh, I have diabetes and people kind of look at me and they're like, but you're, but, huh? and I'm like, the Jonas kind. And they're like, oh, that one. Oh. And then they're always like, isn't that the bad one to have? And you're like, <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, no, it really is. I don't consider it. Um, it's so sweet of you to say it's brave. I don't consider it. I don't consider it brave. Um, maybe I should. I think. I think uh, another thing that that goes on, at least with me, at least, is sort of this like masking, where I don't want people to feel bad for me, mm -hmm. and I don't want people to worry about me. So I really downplay it. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people with type one or just really any chronic illness or mental illness 
I think if you have the capacity to downplay, you you do because you don't want people to uh, worry or or be like trying to kind of get into your life and let me fix this for you, even though I don't know anything about it. You or know, feel uncomfortable, like you know, because people feel uncomfortable talking about anxiety and depression or like, what do I say to you? I don't want to upset you. So just kind of yeah. being, you want to make other people in the room comfortable and at your own expense kind of. Yes. And I, I definitely find myself doing that because there's times when I'm like in a bad spot in terms of like my blood sugar can be like severely low, but I try to like really downplay it so that people don't start freaking out. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I do think I sort of kind of, kind of do do that and, and downplay it maybe in a lot of different aspects um but I also think that it is a coping a coping mechanism that I've always had I've always used humor as a coping mm-hmm. mechanism also with you know I have mental illness struggles and um I've always kind of made light of them oh yeah the self-deprecation humor is like my favorite Oh, I love the self-deprecation. But also, like, I genuinely do find it amusing sometimes. Oh, same. If I see a meme that's, like, really dark, I'm like, okay, who can I send in my, like, brain? I just, like, go through, like, the people I could send it to and not terrify them. Right. Or they're, like, won't call, like, an ambulance on you. Yes. I'm like, no, it's funny. And my therapist is like, but is it? (laughs) I know. I'm like, I do think it's kind of funny because well, I don't know, maybe, maybe you feel the same way, but sometimes I'll just look around if I, especially with like a, if I'm having a mental health problem and for me, the way my anxiety manifests, I can sort of, sometimes I can separate myself from it and take a look, take a step back. And I'm like, this, the conspiracy theories I am creating about myself are so insane (laughs) like what yeah you know it's almost like a form of cognitive behavioral therapy like when you have to like distance yourself and you're like whoa how did my mind even create this I know I'm like how did we get here and then I'm just convincing myself I'm like nope every single person that I've ever loved hates me and here are all the reasons why yeah no I I can zero to that yeah there's not one shred of evidence, but I fully convinced myself. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you there. And kind of on that same you know, note, I, I, I've dealt with depression and anxiety for the majority of my adult life. And, you know, when you go through, when you have a depressed, like um, an episode or you are getting to that dark place, I know it's personally hard for, you know, me to, get out of it and to keep going and so I think or my question for you is with the diabetes and then you know depression or anxiety or whatever it may be how do you find the resilience to keep going and to push through it especially when you know I'm, I'm just thinking of myself you know if I'm tying my anxiety to like a physical injury or something that I have and it it makes it that much worse because of my anxieties in effect I think that everything is worse or like worst case scenario for everything so I imagine and correct me if I'm wrong like with 
diabetes, when you get into that headspace, it probably amplifies the physical condition that you have. So how do you, you know, garner that resilience? That's a really good question. And when you first asked it, I'm like, I don't know. How do (laughs) I've always been a very, very resilient person. Um, and I remember actually when I was hospitalized, I had all, all these people that were that, you know, my mom would like call them and say like, Oh, this is what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And they would all say like, well, she's going to be fine because like, we know her, she's going to bounce back and be fine. And I don't know why that that's always just sort of been me. Like, um, I'm not easily taken down, I guess. Um, but that's not to say that it doesn't take a lot of work. Um, when I first got diagnosed, I, my anxiety, I'd always had anxiety, but I had never had it to the point where I was, um, I was like, like, I thought my neighbors were going to murder me. Like I was making up, I was trying to place my anxiety in all these different areas. Um, and I would know, like, I, and I would talk to my therapist and I would say, I know my, my neighbors aren't going to kill me. Yeah. I know that my body does not. My body full blown thinks my neighbors are going to kill me. I don't know why I decided this. I just decided it. And anytime a door slammed, I would like jump, like all my, my nervous system was so out of whack. Um, and I think it was, I think it was just a way for my mind to like shift off of this thing that had just happened to me and that like altered my entire life. Um, and instead of like panicking about that, it's like, let's panic about something that you're just going to make up. Yeah, that's true. And I think that my, my brain kind of has always, um, kind of done that in a protective way. Like if something bad happens, it, it, uh, diverts to some other thing, um, and then really dwells there. And so it does take, and I think maybe the resilience comes from just that feeling of like, this feels horrible. Like, I don't want to have this feeling. I don't, I don't want to be afraid. I, I don't want to, anytime a pin drops, I'm jumping out of my seat, you know? And so I think that that has always been something that's kind of driven me forwards in terms of really working on my mental health. Um, Another thing I was blessed with is that my mom struggles with anxiety. And so early on, she was like, if you start having these types of feelings or like go to therapy, like let's talk about therapy. It was always a very open conversation. Yeah. Um, And so it's never felt weird to me and it's never felt, uh, I'll tell anybody that I'm in therapy. Same. (laughs) Obviously. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) right. Right. And so uh, I do think that that is something that was very helpful to me. And I'm hoping that our generation and, you know, our kids and stuff um, that will be able to destigmatize it also because if I ha- if I did not have the ability to 
go to therapy uh, or see psychiatrists uh, when when things were out of whack. Um, I don't know where I would be. I really don't. Um, and so, yeah, I think that also just the the evidence of um, the work putting the work I put in um, equals me feeling better. Yeah. So that resilience, uh, if you can call it that for me, I guess is, is really rooted in like, I know that if I do this, I won't feel like that. Mm -hmm. And therefore I will keep going even though it sucks. Yeah. (laughs) You, you've seen the light at the end of the tunnel. So you know that you can like see it again. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I always wrap up the podcast with a couple of questions, somewhat related to the podcast, somewhat unrelated. First question being, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? Oh my God. Well, definitely. I mean, the the type one probably is like the more obvious answer. Um, But I think what's one thing that's happened to me that has made me a stronger person? Um, I think the relationship that I have with my dad, uh, I had a very rocky start with him. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were times when I just felt like I was just we were never going to have a relationship and it was, it was made me so sad and, and all this stuff. And I think, um, through kind of, again, through therapy and really through some determination, I was, I was like, no, I, I, we're going to make this work. I'm going to figure out how to, how to communicate with him and get on the same page. Um, and he was also willing to put in work. And so I think that um, it was really, really hard at the time, but he and I have a really great relationship now. Um, and I think it taught me a lot, taught me a lot about um, communication and other people's mental health and how it impacts relationships. Um, so yeah, I think going through that. That gives me chills. like and not to disclose too much about my, I mean, I disclose so much about my life on this podcast and more like because it, it brings in other people, but I have a relationship like that in my family, like me and, and a family member. And uh, we actually have family therapy right after this to work on that exact same thing. So amazing. hearing you say that makes me really happy because yes. it gives me hope. No. Okay. If I had hope, like, let me tell you. <laughs> Because there were times where I was like, there is, there's, it's just not going to happen. Um, but yeah, it, I think um, you'll definitely get there. And on the other side, it is, you, you have such a better understanding of one another. Um, and it's really rewarding. It's amazing. Uh, next question is, do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? Um, I do have a mantra um and it's actually kind of related to type one actually um 
and I have a tattoo of it, but it says, um, lose the battle, win the war. And I think that also has a lot to do with, with mental health as well. And that is, there are some days when it's just like, you can't do it. You know, you're just like, I am tapped out. I am exhausted. I cannot do this. And in those moments, I allow myself to, to quote unquote, lose the battle. Um, knowing that I will win the metaphorical war of my life, you know? Yeah. And so there are certain days, um, that I think you can see as like a, a big battle and you don't, you don't have to win it. You know, mm-hmm. some days you can just allow yourself to lose whatever it is and then start again the next day. Um, and keep going. I love that. It's like, it's also kind of showing that like one day's quote unquote failure doesn't mean that your whole life is over. Yes, exactly. What do you love most about yourself? Oh, um, I think I love my ability to, and you know, maybe it's, it, it, at times it probably is a disservice to me, but I will always see, I will always choose to see the best in, in people. Yeah. Um, always. So. Same. And I was actually talking about this yesterday <laughs> with my family because I was like, is it like, on yeah, on one hand, you know, my, I have friends and my sister, like, they'll get an intuition about someone or a feeling and they're like, nope, not going to talk to that person. Like gives me bad vibes. Whereas I, I like to try to find the best in someone. And it's definitely, definitely um, screwed me over a couple yeah. times, but I still think I'd rather that than be cynical. Exactly. Exactly. And last question, which is the name of the podcast, is how do you find solace in the city? And that could be Los Angeles, the Bay Area, metaphorical, et cetera. How do I find solace in the city? I really think maybe this is like too simple of an answer, but I am never happier than when I'm just like doing something mundane with the people I love, my friends, um, my family, uh, going to dinner. It it doesn't have to be a fancy restaurant. It could be literally anywhere, but just having moments like that, um, I think are what make life so fun. Yeah. You know? And so I think that that is, having having yeah just little experiences that don't even have to be extravagant in any way um is how I find solace in the city I love that (laughs) well Natalie thank you so much for coming on this podcast where can everyone buy your jewelry your perfumes your clothes where can they follow you I know you have a podcast so just plug everything Yes, I do have a podcast. Um, so the podcast is called Am I Doing This Right? And you can find us on Instagram at Am I Doing This Right Pod. Uh, my best friend and I started it because 
after we got out of college, we were like, uh, there's so many things that we have no idea what we're supposed to do here. And nobody's ever told us, but we just are assumed to know like taxes and mortgages. And we're like, what What is a credit score? Like, what is a credit? That was like our second episode. Like what is a credit score and why and how? And, um, so yeah, so we kind of break everything down for people. We sort of research everything and, and break it down. Like you're just, you know, listening to your friends. So, um, that's the podcast. And then you can find me, um, at shop Natalie McMillan. That's, uh, my brand's Instagram. And then my personal Instagram is at Natalie MCM. And, uh, oh, if you go to natalie-mcmillan.com, um, you can, it will say like click to shop or click to join my newsletter. I do like a fun little newsletter once a month that has nothing to do with anything. Um, it's usually just like product recommendations and stuff. Um, so yeah, you can go there and it'll take you to all the different things. Amazing. Well, thank you so much and bye everyone.